We are in a rather new study on parables and miracles. And this morning we're going to look at a wonderful miracle of our Savior. It's found in John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. It's the healing of the royal official's son. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to John 4, 43 to 54. And if you do not have a Bible, then listen to what happened. After the two days, he, Jesus, went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, Come now, before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday, At the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Mature faith is faith without sight. In Hebrews 11.1, it says of this faith, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mature faith, again, is faith without sight. It's this kind of faith that I want a whole lot more of in my own life. We see mature faith in the Father, who we meet in this wonderful account in John chapter 4. This particular father had it easy, but he also had it hard. He had it easy because he was a royal officer who lived in a palace, and he helped a tetrarch, which I will explain in a moment. So in that regard, in his work and in his workplace, this particular father had it easy. He lived in the palace and he served as an officer in that royal household of King, not King, excuse me, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. And that work post and that workplace would have afforded this royal official some perks. I mean, it would be one thing back then to be a struggling Jew outside of Herod's palace, 
but it'd be quite another thing to be serving Jews, but inside Herod's palace. Some people, as I just did in error, some people referred to Herod Antipas as king. But he wasn't a king. He was the tetrarch. That is the governor of the Roman province of Galilee, Perea. Of course, that position came with a lot of wealth and a lot of influence and a lot of power. Herod's palace was located in Cana of Galilee, the place where Jesus did his first miracle when he saved the wedding reception by turning ordinary water into exceptional wine. Apparently, Cana was still abuzz about that miracle at the time when Jesus decided to make a return visit to Canaan. The true story that we are considering shows us something that I believe all of us are aware of. That the easy parts of life are often shaken and crushed by the unexpected hard things of life. The easy parts of life often are shaken by unexpected hard things. The bad news from the doctor, a lost job, disappointment over a child or a grandchild, a broken relationship. Part of life is that when we have an easy season of life, it's often shaken and crushed by hard things. This dad, in this miracle, was at ease in the palace. And yet, in the midst of that relative ease, that cushy job, it was crushed by the tremendously hard fact of a lengthy and a serious illness for his son. Verse 46. He came, therefore, again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. This son's sickness left the boy medically in critical condition. In our terms, the boy would have been in the ICU unit. He was sick. And the original language that's used in this verse describes an illness which dragged on for some time. We aren't told which sickness the boy had, but it was prolonged and drawn out, and it was serious. Sort of like a constant toothache, the son's sickness was always on the mind of the father, Outwardly, he served adequately the governor each day in the palace, but inwardly, in his private thoughts, they were always on the sick son who lay in a sick bed dying. Things dramatically deteriorated in the boy's health to the point that he was very near death. And then his daddy heard that Jesus was coming back to town. You know, the one who 
everyone knew did a miracle at a wedding reception. And somehow, I don't know how, somehow this royal officer father got some time off from his job, and he went to find Jesus. That's always a good thing to do. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The son's sickness was critical. This father, not surprisingly, begged Jesus to make a house call to heal his dying son. Certainly there are few things more desperate than a father or a mother asking for help to save their child's life. Maybe some of you have begged for that. Jesus painted this particular father with a broad brush by saying to him, Unless you people, that is the Jews, see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. That's verse 48. <laughs> Wisely, uh, the father did not push back on that assessment by the Lord. He let it roll off his shoulders like butter in a warm Teflon fry pan. And as the saying goes, if the shoe fits, wear it. The father, after Jesus painted with a broad brushstroke, the father went back to his son's need in verse 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Clearly, time was of the essence to this dad. The son might not have had very much time to live. What Jesus said next tested him to see if the broad brushstroke was or was not reasonable for this particular Jewish father. Jesus said this, go your way, your son lives. In other words, have mature faith. Have faith without sight of seeing that your son is healed. Don't ask me to go to the palace. Have mature faith in me. Take my word. Take me at my word. In John 14, verses 10 and 11, the scene is the upper room where the Lord's Supper occurred before the cross, and Jesus is addressing his band of disciples before dying on the cross for us. And it says in these verses, Jesus' words, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but my Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, 
believe because of the works themselves. The Lord Jesus this morning wants you to believe that what he says is true. He wants you to act on his promises. He wants you to be confident that the Bible is trustworthy. Faith that does not take God at his word is shallow faith. It's conditional faith. It's immature faith. It's sight-dependent faith. This kind of juvenile faith has to offer vials of oil or special handkerchiefs or healing services all done under very bright lights. This type of I'll believe if I see faith requires a hand laid on or a prayer by a special healer or tongues or falling backwards. This inferior variety of faith, which expects confirmation to work, usually craves the personal or the vocal or the audible or the visible or the emotional or the sensational. (laughs) The royal official dad required none of that. Jesus told him he believed Jesus He left for home. He found his son healed and healthy. We need to hear what Doubting Thomas needed to hear back in his day, and namely what Jesus said, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Is that you? Do you look at your Bible? as God's very word? Do you look at your Bible as though it's fine for you to take it at face value? Do you look at your Bible as truth that you do not have to see with your eyes? This was the bottom line of Jesus' story when he told the story of the rich man in hell and the poor man in heaven. And when the rich man who was in hell wanted someone to rise from the dead, to be able to leave hell and go back to earth, to warn the living to not to come to hell, what did Jesus say? (laughs) He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. (laughs) Jesus was saying, if they didn't take God and his word is found in the Old Testament, then they would not be persuaded even if someone came to them from the dead to warn about hell. God wants and requires that we take him at his word. That we take him at his word. (laughs) Mature faith. I don't need to see faith. Take God at his word as it is found in his Bible, faith. Little children sing and we sang, standing on the promises of Christ my King, 
Through eternal ages, let his praises sing. Or, I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. This whole notion of having mature faith, faith that doesn't require sight, faith that takes Jesus at his word as found in the word, is very practical. Many a Christian wife that I have worked with who found herself to be married to a non-Christian husband has taken Jesus at his word in the scriptures when it says in 1 Peter 3.1, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them is disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of the wife. I know women, sisters in Christ, who have taken God at his word about that. And their husbands have been saved. Or, in 30 years, I've had the privilege of baptizing a whole lot of believers. And in every case, I've insisted, required, that they give a verbal testimony to how they got saved in the tank or the sea before they were baptized. And 99.9% of the believers over 30 years, when they were told they'd have to give a testimony in front of a church, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. The Spirit will do it through you, and he'll make you want to do it. And he has. 30 years. No one has ever frozen up. No one has ever had no words to say. They have shared how they got to become a Christian. That is taking God at his word in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Taking God at his word is is extremely practical and every day. Do you take God at his word? (laughs) He wants you to. After Jesus said to the father, go your way, your son lives, what would you have done? (laughs) At the very moment when the dad turned from Jesus and took his first stride toward home, at that very moment, he had the needed mature faith in Jesus. Without a phone to call home, to see if his boy was healed. When he left Jesus to take his first step back home, he demonstrated that he had a mature faith. A faith did not require sight. By deciding to ask nothing further of Jesus, instead to turn away from Jesus and to go back home, he took Jesus at his word. That was mature faith. Would you have taken Jesus at his word? Would you have had a faith in Jesus that didn't require that you see what he said he had done? I think, what would I have done? What would you have done? But a better question than those is what will we do? What will we do about Jesus and his word? What will we do about God's word, the Bible? What will we do? You know, sight is overrated sometimes. In John 20, 
Verse 29, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's made some appearances alive after being dead. And he comes into a room of his disciples that have seen him already. And they believe he's alive from the dead. And there's doubting Thomas in the room. And he basically says, I'm not going to believe he's alive from the dead until I can touch him. Put my hand in the nail holes and the spear wound on his side, doubting Thomas. Jesus said to him, after appearing to him and letting him touch him, Jesus said to doubting Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. (laughs) Sometimes sight is overrated. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Sight is sometimes overrated. Verse 48, Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And now there are 10 words embedded in the scriptures for today that I want very much to be characteristic of me. There are 10 words that I want to live in such a way that you can say these 10 words when you point at my life and say they fit Pastor Elliot. Here are the 10 words. They're in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Probably you want those 10 words to be a label for you as well. And so the question becomes, if we would take Jesus at his word like the royal officer did, where do we find Jesus' word? In Holy Scripture. Nowhere else. You will find, I will find Jesus' words to us in the Bible. And so the issue becomes, when we find his word in his word, will we have mature faith that doesn't need sight? Will we take him at his word? Will we put mature, sightless faith into action? My wife put mature, sightless faith into action as she contemplated going to Dallas Seminary. She had no money for seminary. But she believed God was leading her there to prepare to teach the Bible to women and to children. And so in obedience to the Lord, she went to Dallas, Texas. She knew that she had a free place to live. Uh, Restaurateurs in Dallas who owned 30 restaurants hired her to be the governess, the nanny, the babysitter for their one child. And the arrangement that she was hired with was that she could live in their mansion for free in exchange for caring for their daughter, Savannah. But she got to Dallas with a free place to live and a job, but she had no money to pay for school. But she went to school anyway. 
And as she met her female boss for the first time, the boss said, everything stands that we talked about. You have a free place to live in exchange for watching our daughter. But my husband and I were talking about a few things, and we think that it'd be much better interest of you and of our daughter if you didn't have to work outside of our family. So we're going to change the deal. You get free place to live plus free tuition, free books, and free health care. Beth took the Lord at his word and drove all the way to Dallas without money to pay for school, but God looked after it. Most of you know that we have been blessed to adopt two newborn babies that are far from babies now. When we adopted our daughter Joanna, her birth mother by her own choice, decided not to meet us in person. She wanted to pick the family to adopt her baby daughter from paper, like almost like the resume for being parents. And she told the social worker to tell us that one of the reasons she picked us to be the adoptive parents of her baby was that we said on our paper that we wanted to have other children. And so when she picked us, we began to pray and trust God that he would give us some other children, at least one other child. We took God at his word. Five years later, we were blessed to adopt J.D. as a baby. In Matthew 7, 7 to 11, Jesus taught, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? The only way you'll know the reliability of Jesus' word is if you take him at it. Jesus didn't give us his word, except he wants us to take him at his word. And so when Beth had no money for seminary tuition, she didn't cry into her soup in Michigan and say, I'll just stay in Michigan again. When we learned that Joanna's birth mother wanted us to have other children, we took Jesus, took that to be Jesus calling us to faith that we would have other children. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go your way, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. The father took Jesus at his word. He realized, the father did, that Jesus' word was just as powerful as his presence at his son's bedside. Think about that. The father knew to take Jesus at his word because Jesus' word was just as efficient and effective and powerful as Jesus' presence would be by his sick son's bedside. (laughs) The father demonstrated his faith to take Jesus at his word by stopping his pleading to Jesus to come to his house. 
He believed that Jesus' promise was as powerful as his presence. Now, there's a faith-building detail in the second part of verse 50 through 52. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them. The hour he began to get better, and they said, they said therefore to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Jesus' power caused immediate healing in this lad, not a gradual recovery. Now, I know with you, and I've seen it with you, that sometimes Jesus heals us over time. Sometimes he uses doctors, and sometimes he uses medicines, and sometimes he uses surgeries, and that's wonderful. We all know that. But in this case, we must also know and believe Jesus' word in the Bible when it says he healed him instantly. When we see verse 53, we see the happiest possible ending after this Lord's miraculous healing of this very sick son. And the words are these, and he himself, the father, and he himself believed and his whole household. We see a rather amazing detail here that this father had healing for my son faith before he had saved me from my sin faith. He had faith that Jesus could heal his son from sickness, but he didn't yet have faith that Jesus could forgive his own sins. You know, sometimes when I share Christ with people and I talk about trusting Jesus and only Jesus for salvation, and they start saying, well, I trust Jesus for my money. I trust Jesus for my health. I trust Jesus for my kids. I say, great. Those are all good things for which to trust Jesus, but it's not the main gift he wants to give you. He wants to give you salvation from your sin. And so I use the illustration that if there was a couple that I knew in Manhattan, New York City, and they didn't have a lot of money, but I was able to consider giving them a steak dinner at the finest steakhouse in Manhattan. I told them about the meal. I told them when they should go, and they phoned me the morning they were to have dinner at the steakhouse, and they said, Pastor Robs, we've had a downturn in our finances even worse, and we can't afford to get ourselves to the steakhouse in Manhattan. I could then choose to say, I'll send a limousine around to where you live, and the limousine will drive you to the steakhouse. When they got in that limousine, they didn't yet have the gift I wanted to give them. When they walked into the steakhouse and waited for the maitre d' to show them a table, they still didn't have the gift I wanted to give them. Do you know when they had the gift I wanted to give them? When they ordered the most expensive steaks on the menu, and when they came, they took the first bite. That's when... They received my gift by faith because they had no money to pay for the steak dinner. And when they chewed their first bite of that delicious steak, that was when they trusted me to give them the steak dinner. There are lots of people trusting Jesus Christ for the limo ride, but not for the steak dinner. 
This father, gratefully, gladly, <laughs> he moved from having a healing for my son faith to having a save me from my sin faith, and his household also came to have a save me from my sin faith because they'd seen Jesus healed, heal the boy in their household. Now, in closing, I have a couple of thoughts for you. Number one, faith is only as good as the object upon which it rests. Number two, faith in God and in the word of God, the Bible, will never disappoint you. You can trust your spouse, and you might get disappointed. You can trust your boss, you might get disappointed. You can trust your fellow employees, you might get disappointed. You can trust politicians, and you might get disappointed. But if you trust in God, and you take God at his word, you'll never be disappointed. And this mature, I don't need to have sight faith in God increases by better getting to know God who gave us the Bible. And we better get to know God by better getting to know him in his word, by carving out time in the mornings or at nights if you're a night person, and getting to know God in his word. No one can do that for you. But you can do that. You can get your nose in the book and get to know God better. When I married Beth in 1983, I trusted her. When I proposed to her, I asked her to marry me. I trusted her. But I'll tell you something. I trust her now so much more 36 years later because I know her so much better 36 years later. Our ambition, our goal should be to get to know God better every day. Just to wrap this up, it would be excellent to figure out that for which Jesus wants you to take him at his word. It would be excellent to figure out that for which Jesus wants you to take him at his word. Jesus said, go. Your son has been healed. And the man took Jesus at his word. May we do the same. May we do the same. Lord, we thank and praise you that you're dependable, that you keep all of your promises. We thank you that you revealed who you are in the Bible. We thank you that we can own Bibles, carry them around in our cars, in our hands, at our workplaces. Thank you that we do not have to fear what will happen to us if we have your word visible in the Bible. Help us, Lord, to get to know you better. Help us to delve into the love letter you've written to us called the Bible. Help us to read this love letter and to get to know you better. Because, Lord, if we get to know you better, we'll be more inclined to take you 
at your word. Lord, for the person struggling this morning to take you at your word, I pray that you would take away the objections to trusting you, that they could take you at your word. And Lord, when they do take you at your word, give them peace and patience and praise, knowing that you have heard them and that you will come through for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.